Happy Good Friday. This is so much better than being at home watching it on television. Can you agree with that from last year? <laughs> We're so thrilled to be here. We have two years of Holy Weekend worship and excitement pent up inside of us, and we can't wait to share this with you. I was thinking about, if all of you watching online, don't let that make you feel bad. We know some of you are still not able to come out in public, and we want you to know we're glad you've joined us all over the world. People are watching the Good Friday service. So glad you've welcomed us in your house. Can we welcome them? Can we just say, let them know we're thinking about them? I think about Good Friday. Good Friday is when the Lord tends to recenter me. Good Friday is where all of the distractions kind of go away and the Lord refocuses me. I need this time every year in my life. I don't know about you, but I need Good Friday and I need Easter Sunday to refocus me, to reshape me, to reorient me, right? To get me back to the North Star, to point me in the right direction. And this is what Good Friday is intended for. It's, it's meant to, for us to stare at an empty cross and remember how much God loved us, that he was willing to send the spotless lamb from the palatial states of heaven to the earth and pay an enormous price for our freedom. And we are so grateful tonight that we get to focus our attention on the cross. And, and what was, this is what was, you know, several months ago we were in this room talking about Christmas Eve. We were talking about the advent, the arrival of Jesus out of heaven. And there were promises made to us on Christmas Eve that are now being fulfilled to us on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. What was promised to us at Christmas is being fulfilled now as we come to the cross, as we talk about the empty tomb. And this was the promise. The promise was from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I don't know about you, but we've walked through darkness the last year. We have, all of us have had moments where it felt like the darkness was a little suffocating in these last years. And the people walking in that darkness, no matter which generation you lived, uh, my grandparents lived through the Second Great War. That felt like darkness to them. My great-grandparents lived through the Great Depression. I remember them telling me stories of how it felt dark to them when everybody was losing their farms and homes. Our generation has walked through the darkness. Every generation that will come after us will walk through the darkness. But the promise of Isaiah 9 says the people walking in darkness will always have always seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Jesus has promised to come into our dark world and bring us the hope of salvation. And there was not a darker day in the history of humanity than the day that Jesus was taken outside the city gates of Jerusalem, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane in front of his closest friends, a sham of a trial thrown together, false charges, false accusations, and suddenly he was forced to carry his own cross through the winding streets of Jerusalem. I have walked the 12 stages of the cross through the cities of of the city of Jerusalem and where Jesus may have paused and where he may have stumbled, where he may have bled, where he may have fell. Finally, he ends up on the outside of the city gates and the, the Romans were really good at crucifixion. And they brought him to a, a terrible death, a painful death. This is not a staged death. This was not a death that was somehow sanitized 
for our human experience. No, it was bloody, it was torturous, it was awful, and it was evil. And Jesus brought all of that upon himself. So that one day when we cried out for salvation, when we cried out in our own pain, he would know exactly what we were experiencing. And he, could, he is the only one now that can bring us into great salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Paul is remembering this story. Paul is recounting this story to a group of brand new believers in Corinth, 30, 40 people huddled together in a, a little storefront room somewhere. And Paul is telling them this story. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. He, he did not send me just to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, human power cannot replace the sacrifice of Christ. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. Now think about this. We're the only group of people in the world who are celebrating the hero of our story being murdered on a cross as a criminal. This sounds foolish to everyone in the world. Our hero, the one that paid for our sins, the Son of God was, what happened to him? Well, he was treated like a common criminal and stripped naked and crucified outside of Jerusalem in front of his mom, in front of a few followers that didn't abandon him. What a foolish message. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us, I want to say it one more time. If you're one of us, can you just say amen? For, for those of us, for those of us who were once lost in the darkness, for those of us who were once found ourselves separated from everything that was good. From those of, for those of us who were separated from the source of great peace, Christ reached out and rescued us. I know exactly where I was. I, know I can smell the air. I can, I can see the vehicle I was driving in. I know the stretch of road I was driving on. When I felt the salvation call of Jesus come to me, and it, this cross is not foolishness to me. It's the power of God to save us. And this is what happened on the cross. So I want to refocus you. Maybe you've heard this story a thousand times. Maybe you're watching online and you stumbled upon our YouTube channel and you're wondering why all these people are gathered on a Friday night talking about a cross. Let me tell you what happened on the cross that morning. As he breathed his final breath, as he uttered the seven last sayings, and we're going to remember those seven last sayings at the end of this message tonight, but this is what happened. The innocent one assumed the charges of the guilty ones so the guilty could become innocent. And I want you to hear this tonight. I want to remind you of why you put your hope. Why did you put your trust? Why did you give your life to Christ? Because the innocent one assumed the charges of the guilty ones. And all the guilty ones, please say amen with me so we can remind ourselves who are the guilty ones. And the innocent one assumed the charges of the guilty ones so the guilty could become innocent. And we had no ability to become innocent except someone pay for our guilt. And that's what Jesus did. Tom Holland, the great author, writer, historian, theologian, he says that in the ancient world, it was actually the role of God's who laid claim to ruling the universe to uphold its order by inflicting punishment. 
not to suffer it themselves. This turned the Greek world, the Roman world, upside down. The Jewish world could not understand a God that would come to the earth and receive punishment, receive punishment that was not due to him. How in the world could a God love humanity so much that he would come to the earth and receive punishment and not just inflict it upon the human race? And this turned the whole world upside down. What an, an amazing, miraculous act. What a powerful demonstration of the mercy and the grace of God that Jesus would come and receive punishment. He would be inflicted with our punishment. He would take on our sin out of immense love, out of immense joy for his creation. He made it plain to us there is a place for you at the table of the Lord because he has already set the table and provided a place for you by his sacrifice. And this is what's happened. Yes, that's a good place to applaud right there. And to everyone watching that day, including some of his own followers, can you imagine what was going through their mind? They had followed this guy for three years. They had watched him do miracles. He had raised children from the dead. He had spoken to lepers. He had told demoniacs to be set free. They had seen the power of God on display over and over again. He turned water into wine, miracle after miracle. And on that day, the cross looked like defeat. It's like all of it had come crashing down. Where is the victory? Well, on Sunday morning, we're going to come back in here and celebrate the victory. And we're going to celebrate the victory. We're going to celebrate it like nobody's business on Sunday morning, if you're welcome to attend. But on this night, the Good Friday night, the cross looked like defeat. But it was a finish line. God's promise made true. God had made us a promise in Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. And I want to encourage you with something tonight. I was praying over all of you, and I know for myself, I am a, I'm, not, I'm probably past halftime. If you're a sports person, I am not, I'm not in the second quarter. I'm probably in the early third quarter of my life. And one of the things I'm thinking about right now is finishing well. And I want to finish strong. And this past year has been a test of our resolve if we're going to keep our hearts pure, we're going to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, are we going to bow our knees to worthless idols, or are we going to depend and believe on the resurrected Christ? And I have good news for you tonight. This is what the Lord said to me in my time as I'm praying for us tonight. The Lord spoke to me out of Hebrews 12. He said, Brady, we can finish the race because Jesus has finished the race. Jesus didn't stumble across the finish line. Jesus finished the race that was marked out in front of him, and he marked out a path for us to finish our race. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding the saints of this. He says, Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let me tell you who these witnesses are. These witnesses are your grandparents and great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents and your aunts and uncles and the pastors and the leaders that we've read about in ancient texts. These are, they have finished the line. They have crossed over the finish line. They have shown us that it's possible to run this race and finish with victory. This is who he's talking about. And we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us then throw off everything that hinders, and in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to throw off some things that's hindering us from running the race, and the sin that so easily entangles, and it let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out in front of us. And I love verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer, the author, in some translations it would say the author, or the pioneer, or the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, not counting shame as something that should be counted against him, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Every time, this is why when I come into the church, oftentimes during worship, we have these two crosses, and oftentimes in the middle of the song, in the middle of the set, whatever we're singing, whatever I'm praying, if I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling exhausted, I'm wondering, can I finish the race in front of me? My eyes often lock onto the cross. And I remember that on the cross, there was a finished work. Jesus didn't stumble into his assignment. Jesus finished his assignment. And Jesus finished it with not just with, with weakness, but with strength. Therefore, because of what Jesus has done and the spirit that he has sent to us, we can endure. New Life Church, we can endure. We can persevere. We can overcome. This is the promise. This is what the cross promises to us. Jesus says, I finished the race. The saints before you have finished the race. Now saints that are alive and on the earth, present today, this is your race to run. The baton has been handed to us. We are his ambassadors. We are his witnesses. We are the ones carrying the light of the gospel into a dark world. We are the ones who have a race to run. We have a finish line to cross, and we have the power to finish the race. Somebody say amen if you're hearing me tonight. I don't know, 1,700 years ago, a letter was written to a young man who was wrestling with his faith. And I want to just read this to you before we come to the table of the Lord, before we light the candles, before we have this moment tonight where we pray and where we lay our burdens at the cross. And I want to remind you again of why we're here tonight. We're here tonight to reorient ourselves. We're here tonight to refocus our attention, to make sure our attention is on the right things, to make sure our worship is centered on the right person, to make sure our affections, our energies are focused on Jesus and the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ. And this, this is from the epistle of Methodius to Diognetus, this is written in 130 AD, so it's 1900 years old. He says, when our wickedness had reached its height, and it had been clearly shown that its reward, punishment, and death was impending over us. So again, he's painting an Isaiah 9 picture of people walking in great darkness. A darkness is overwhelming of people. Listen to what he says. God himself took on him the burden of our iniquities. And he gave his own son as a ransom for us, the holy one for transgressors, the blameless one for the wicked, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the incorruptible one for the corruptible, the immortal one for them that are mortal. And he says, for what other thing was capable of covering our sins than his righteousness? We just stop here for a moment. Let's not rush past that question. What other thing are you looking for that's capable of redeeming you and restoring you? What else are you looking for 
Because a great gift has already been given to you. The greatest gift imaginable has already been sent to us. And for what other thing was capable of covering our sins than his righteousness? By what other one was it possible that we, the wicked and ungodly, could be justified than by the only Son of God? And I love this next phrase, three beautiful words. Oh, sweet exchange. And this is what is being offered to us tonight, a beautiful exchange. Our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Our unholiness for his holy character. Our shame for his, his, his beauty. Every, there's a great exchange that can happen tonight. This is the, the, the entire story of the Bible. Is God has been offering us something. He's been offering our nation, the human race, our community, our families, our marriages. He's offering us a beautiful gift. He's offering us tonight a beautiful exchange. So tonight, in just a moment, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. We're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup. We're going to remember that the night before he was betrayed, that he was actually at a meal with some friends. And then after that, we're going to light a candle. And we're going to hear the seven last words, the seven last sayings of Jesus. As he was hanging on the cross, struggling for oxygen in his lungs, he uttered seven phrases, seven things that have changed the world. And we're going to remember those tonight as we hold that candle. But as you're holding the candle tonight, I have two questions that I want, not only do I want you to spend tonight thinking about, but I want you to spend all of Holy Saturday tomorrow. When you find yourself with a little moment of quiet, a moment where you're praying and thinking tomorrow as we're preparing ourselves to come back for Resurrection Sunday. I have a couple of questions that I want you to think about and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer these questions. And the first question is, what's buried that needs to stay buried? Not everything needs to be resurrected. There are some things that need to go away. We need to bless it. Bless it and leave it alone and let the Lord have it. There are some habits some traditions, some things that you may have done all your life that maybe the Lord is using this season of your life to say, let's bury it, let's give it a good funeral, let's remember the good, but let it stay buried. But here's the second question I think that's really important for us. Is what's buried right now that needs to be resurrected? What is it that the Lord wants to bring back to life? What is it that you've had to watch die that the Lord actually wants to breathe life into it. And see, this is the power. Our entire, our entire belief system is centered around one moment in the tomb where the Spirit of God breathed on a lifeless, formless, dead body of Jesus, and he came back to life. And then the, the Bible says that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is now with us. The same spirit that was in the tomb with Jesus is now available with us. And so I can answer that question. Whatever, whatever the Lord wants to resurrect, I believe tonight he has the power to bring resurrection back into all of our lives. There's not one human being sitting in this room, that's not one person watching online that does not have the ability to call on the name of the Lord and see resurrection power in your life. Every one of you can call on the name of the Lord and ask for that same Holy Spirit to come 
And the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will come to you tonight. So would you stand with me tonight? Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord. We're about to come and take the bread and take the cup. Pastor Daniel's going to come and lead us in these two moments. He's going to lead us to the table of the Lord. And then he's going to lead us into the lighting of the candles. And you're going to have a moment as you're holding that candle tonight to remember these two questions. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then after we blow out the candles, we're going to kind of walk out in a bit of a silence tonight. Kind of a holy hush, I believe, is going to come over the room in anticipation that when we come back on Sunday, that the tomb is empty and we're going to erupt with praise, the same as the church did the first morning they saw the empty tomb. Can we just pray together? Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the beautiful, sweet exchange that you made for us on the cross. Lord, you took our unrighteousness and you gave us righteousness. You took our shame and you gave us blessing. You took our weakness and you made us strong. You took our curses and you smile upon us. Father, we thank you today for the beautiful gift, for the sacrifice. We thank you for the enormous outpouring of your love and your grace that happened on that cross. And Father, let our eyes be fixed now on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. Let our eyes be fixed now on this cross. Let our eyes be fixed on you tonight. So Lord, as we sing tonight, as we worship, as we pray, I pray tonight that every heart would come alive, that every soul would be awakened, that everyone who has a weary heart would be strengthened tonight. Lord, you said, come to you all who are weary and heavy laden, and you would give us strength. Lord, tonight, at your place of greatest weakness, at your place of death, would you give us strength? Would you pour out your strength upon your church tonight? as we worship, as we pray. Come on, sing this song, let's prepare our hearts. In just a moment, we're gonna to come to the table of the Lord. You can actually open your communion elements right now. As Pastor Brady said at the beginning of his talk, on Calvary, the Romans showed that they were really good at crucifixion. But at the table, Jesus shows us that he's really good at transformation. Jesus looks at these friends of his who are going to run away. They're going to fumble it. They're going to deny him. They're going to betray him. They're going to run back to their lives in Galilee. They, these were not exceptional men who just nailed it. Jesus sits down at the table with his disciples and he sits down at the table with us tonight and he knows we need food. <laughs> he knows we need transformation. He knows we need forgiveness. But what's, what's beautiful to think about is that Jesus, even after that meal, Peter denies him three times that he ever knew the man. But Peter went for the rest of his life, Jesus reinstated him and Peter was crucified later because he loved Jesus so much. The one who on that night said, I don't know the man. At the end of his life, Peter comes to a, a, an end just like Jesus because he was transformed by Jesus. All of us need the transforming work of Jesus and tonight he's here 
to give it to us. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And would you break that little wafer in half? And can you close your eyes and envision yourself seated at the table with Jesus tonight? He's sitting across from you. He takes the bread. He breaks it. Can you see his eyes right now? Does he look mad at you? Or is he compassionate? Are you looking at a friend? Jesus takes the bread and there's mercy in his eyes. He hands it across the table to you. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. You're gonna need it. You're gonna need food. You're gonna need strength. You're gonna, you're gonna fumble it along the way. This is my body that's broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Friends, Jesus is here to provide for us tonight what we need so that we can be transformed. You may receive the bread. And on that same night, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. As often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. We all need our sins washed away. We all come to the table with baggage. We all come to the table with shame. We all come to the table with fear. We all come to the table with our very worst moments readily available to us in our, in our consciousness. But Jesus at the table takes those things and he gives us a cup. This cup is the new covenant given in my blood, given for the remission of your sins. Jesus says, give me that and take this. You can do this in remembrance of Jesus tonight. Your sins have been washed away. You may receive the cup. And now would you get your candles ready? They're about to dim the lights. And tonight, as we come to this moment, we see that Isaiah's prophecy has been fulfilled. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. The lights are going to go out and the light is going to spread through the room as candles are lit. And here in just a second, we're going to play the seven last words of Jesus. And I want you to see Jesus coming into your darkness. Jesus stepping into the very worst moments of your existence. Jesus stepping in to the areas of pain. The light of the world is coming into our darkness. And so now we're going to go dark here in the room. And I want you to hear the seven last words of the Son of God before he dies on the cross. Let's listen to these words from Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am thirsty. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. people in the back who are just getting the light so I'm going to wait for them Jesus the light of the world coming into the darkness And so tonight we say, come. Jesus Christ, we welcome you. We give you the darkness that we know so well. And Jesus, we take great comfort in the fact that you are the God who races into it. And so tonight, for those who are weary, I pray that you'd strengthen them. For those who feel lonely, I pray that they would see the Son of God with them in the middle of it. And Lord Jesus, we're going to wait this weekend and we're going to wait for the light. As we enter into Holy Saturday, Lord, we wait for you and we trust and we long that Easter is coming. And so Lord, we pray. We welcome you into the darkness. Give us grace to keep walking. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may extinguish your candles.